Welcome to the Fairview Church Podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. Amen. I would invite you to remain standing. In honor of reading God's word, if you're here uh, as a guest, my name is Brant, and just so honored that you chose to worship with us this morning. Uh, one of the things that we do here is we stand and we invite everybody to read the passage of scripture, and we do this just as an expression of honor to King Jesus. Our passage this morning is from 1 Corinthians, and we will, the back screens are not working, so we will read together off of this screen, 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 17. Now, in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. Indeed, it is necessary that there be factions among you, so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. When you come together, then... It is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for at the meal each one eats his own supper. So one person is hungry, while another gets drunk. Don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, we have been moving through a sermon series called Fight to Flourish. And we've been looking at the fact that everybody wants to flourish. Everybody wants to experience a life that they would describe as flourishing. And in many ways... The reason why anybody does anything, anybody who believes anything, anybody who lives a certain way, really anybody who makes any kind of decision is doing it because they, in one way or another, believe it'll lead to their flourishing. And yet, what we see is that not all paths lead to flourishing. There are ways in which we can choose to live that very much lead away from flourishing. Now, when we look at the scriptures, and we've been looking from Genesis to Isaiah, and this morning now we're in 1 Corinthians, and we're going to look at these themes that go through all of these passages, but we've seen that God is a God who desires for his people to experience flourishing, and he's given us direction uh, in order to experience the, the flourishing as he intends, and the word that we've been looking at the past few weeks that we've tied with flourishing is the Hebrew term shalom. And that is translated peace in our scriptures. And yet there's 
a fuller definition of that, which is this wholeness, this completeness, this abundance, this kind of overflowingness where everything is right and in right order and rightly oriented uh, with one another. And so we have this picture of shalom that we've been considering. And this is from Genesis. When you look at Genesis verse uh, chapter 1 and then chapter 3, you see these four primary relationships that God designs and we see how he designs them. And then in Genesis 3, with the curse, we see specifically how the entrance of sin into the world breaks each of these relationships. The first relationship is our relationship with God. Then our relationship with others. Then our relationship with creation itself, the rest of creation around us. And then ultimately our relationship with ourself, our own body, our own identity. And we'll be looking at these in the weeks to come. But this morning... We are starting with that focus on our relationship with God, that shalom with God. And the way that we would typically describe this in scripture is worship. This is directly tied to our relationship with God. That word worship, when we hear it, we think maybe of singing uh, or or any number of things that we do, what we just did, and, and those are all ways in which we worship. But at the core, the word worship comes from worthship. And so we sang, Jesus, you're worthy of every song we could ever sing. That's what we're talking about, worthship. There's a way in which we are ascribing worth to something. And as human beings, we are always doing this. We're always in some way ascribing worth. The reason is there's something that's on our mind. So there's something that occupies our thoughts. There's something that, that we experience affections for, we desire In one way or another. And then there's a way in which we're giving of ourselves. Giving of our money. Giving of our time. Giving of our energy to something. Whatever that is. And again, we're always doing this in one way or another. Whatever that is, is what is receiving our worship. Now what the scriptures would tell us is that the only way to experience this shalom, this flourishing that God intends for us is to give our worship to God. To to rightly express worship or worship to him. And in doing that, we experience this relationship that is that's necessary for us to experience this peace, this wholeness that God intends for us. And this is where the issue in the Corinthian church comes because as people are gathered together, just like you all are here this morning and you drove from wherever you drove from and you got into this room and we're all together. In the Corinthian church, this was happening and they were doing this in order to worship God. And yet what was actually happening is there are some members of this church who had more means. And Paul shows how there's a financial element to this. And the people who had more, they got there earlier than the others. And the food and the wine that was there, they consumed. Now what happened, he says, with the people who have nothing, so the people who who are more impoverished, they don't have the resources, what happened when they showed up? There was nothing left, right? And so he says, some of you all are drunk because you drank everything that was there. And the others of you are, you're hungry. You, you don't have anything. Now think about this. If the purpose of this gathering together is for all of us collect, collectively to express this worship to God. And yet what's happening is, is the worship, the focus is not on God, but it's on who? themselves like they consume they drink they eat 
And the other people, therefore, are hungry. They go without. This is a problem. And, and Paul is addressing the heart of this problem. And, he, and he's going to show how at the core, it's a problem of worship. And so as we consider this instance, let's, let's say it's poor worship. We want to ask ourselves, how can we avoid thinking that we're worshiping God, but actually we're, we're not? And how can we instead experience the worship that is necessary for flourishing in God intends. Well, first we're going to see that as worshipers, we rejoice in creation. And this is right at the start, that worship is to be the natural expression of thankfulness to God for his creation. So last night, uh, my, my youngest son, John uh, Jackson, had his birthday. And so we went to Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> and that was Wow, that's actually, I feel like this is a success. That was my first time there. And so I think I've done pretty well uh, as a father of three kids. But we were driving home, and I mean, it was beautiful sunset right as we're driving home. And I mean, you could just see the sky was just purple and blue. I mean, it's just beautiful. And, and as you experience these elements, this praise naturally comes out. And that's how God designs. As we recognize he is the creator and therefore, it's not just nature, it's creation that's around us. The response is that we would, we would react, we would rejoice in praising the creator. And as we experience creation in all kinds of different ways, this is to be the, the natural tenor, the natural uh, way in which we move through life. Now, God, we see, is the giver of life. And I was actually listening to a podcast this week with a guy who's not a Christian, well-known guy. And he was interviewing somebody who had recently become a Christian. And he, he, the guy was talking about how he came to faith. And this guy says, you know, honestly, it, I, I, you know, he, I think he would call himself an atheist. But he would say, honestly, it doesn't make sense that all this came from nothing. Like he was just owning up. He's like, it doesn't make sense that all this matter and all of this energy. That he's like, it has to come from somewhere. Just, it just seems to make sense. And, and there's a way in which that's. That's true. Life, all of the energy, all of the matter, all that we see that's taking place comes from God. God is, he provides it in creation, but he continues to provide that in sustaining everything. And so the life that we live, the breath that we breathe, the body that we have is not our own. God is the creator of it and he is the sustainer. He continually is providing life and we are to experience that and rest in that provision. It's, it's fascinating. Um, so we're going to read two passages. Genesis 129, God said, look, I have given you every seed bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you. So when humanity on day six shows up on the scene, what's already there? Plants and food. Does humanity have to do anything any work. No, it's there. God's provided it. But then we see that the first full day man is alive is the seventh day, uh, which we read in, in Genesis 2, 3. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy for he rested from all of his work of creation. And the expectation for the people of God is that they would honor the Sabbath and keep it holy by doing what? Resting. Just as God rested, we rest. And if you consider the first day that humanity's on the scene is a day of rest. 
before they go out and work, before they do anything, they experience this shalom, this rest with God, acknowledging that everything that they have comes from him. And all of the weight that they would potentially put on their own shoulders, they are reminded, no, ultimately it's on God's shoulders, right? He came before, he'll be here after. And so there is this experience of resting. God created it, he's sustaining it, he's providing for it, not me. And also expressing gratitude. Looking at the creation, looking at what God's given, looking at even the other people that God's giving and, and expressing gratitude. And this is, this is to lead to our flourishing from right from the beginning at acknowledging God as the creator, trusting in him and receiving this life and receiving all of these gifts as an expression of his love and his pr- provision for us. Now, secondly, we are to respond to that with contribution. So to receive creation as a gift means that we are dependent, but not that we are passive. And this is what we see, that in, included in God's blessing of humanity is work. Work is part of the blessing that God gives to people. He gives the resources around us, but he also gives the responsibility for us to work. Genesis one twenty eight. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. So these are beginning, these work words, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. So God's blessing of humanity uniquely, as those who are made in his image, includes the blessing of giving us work to do, that we would rule, that we would subdue. There's all of these ways. Uh, Tim Keller gives what I think is a helpful definition of work. He says that work is rearranging the raw materials of a particular domain to draw out its potential for the flourishing of everyone. And I think that's a helpful definition because there's all, all these raw materials and Genesis shows these raw materials that are in the earth and humanity takes those out and orients them through work in a certain way that leads to the flourishing and the glory even of creation. So the fact that we're in this building this morning, just take a moment and consider everything that makes up this building one day was where? In the ground. <laughs> right? God created it, put it in the ground. And humanity has learned how to draw these things out, put them together, and now we experience heat and air. Right? And over the last few days, I've been very thankful for that. And this is what God gives to humanity as a gift, this, uh, the resources, and then the responsibility of, of glorifying, of, of leading to greater and greater flourishing. And if you want to consider if this indeed has taken place, uh, think about the last hundred years. If, if you're going, okay, has life really improved? You know, uh, this last week I went to Dr. Founce's office and got some things worked on with my dentistry. Consider dentistry. Has life improved over the last 100 years? (laughs) I think so. You think about where that was, you know, at 100 years ago or even beyond that and where it is today. Like I I choose today. I will take the modern uh, gifts of dentistry that we have. It's remarkable. And so that way alone, dentistry proves that man is following out this mandate to lead to the greater flourishing of humanity. So in all of this, there is, there is this call for us to respond to what we've received from God. And as an act of worship, we work 
towards this contribution of flourishing. Third, we reject consumption. So we see God has created us with a freedom. And so unlike Elon Musk, God did not make robots, right? He created people who have a, a freedom to choose. Now, fundamentally, that choice is between life and death. That really is it. We see there's a, there's a choice between the way of life, which is God's way, which is the way of receiving and giving. We've looked at this a few times, but I want to keep focusing on that. The receiving from God and then giving back or the way of death. And yet what we see is that humanity chooses the way of death. Genesis 3, 6, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining Wisdom, And here's where I want us to focus in. So she, what did she do? She took some of its fruit and ate it. And she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. I want to, again, some of you guys have heard this from previous sermons. Genesis 16, 3. I want us to look at this. So Abraham's wife, uh, let's jump to, sorry, I know I'm doing this quick. So Abraham's wife, Sarai, did what? What did she do? took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her. So it's the same word. It's the same wording. And what we are to see is the way of death is the way of taking for ourselves. What Eve did, and then what Sarai did, and then we're going to see this. If you read your Bible through Genesis, it's going to keep on happening, is that humanity chooses, instead of receiving from God, patiently trusting him, Instead, they turn and they take for themselves. And what they are doing in this is is turning from a life of receiving to a way of taking. And in so doing, we turn from life and we turn towards death. That's it. That's what happens. Taking for ourselves is a way of death. It is It is refusing to trust God and to receive from him. And this is where we get to a place of experiencing the destruction of this. This is, it's built in. When you reject God's way of life, you are going to experience the destruction that comes from death. And Paul outlines this in in Romans. He talks about worship, moving from worshiping the creator to what? created things. And and this is the same principle. When you try to take life from creation, any aspect of creation, does it have life to give you? It doesn't. Does the creator have life to give? He does. So when we are worshiping him and we're receiving from him, there's life that's there. But when we turn and we try to take life from creation, it doesn't have it to give. And this is what leads to every kind of addiction that there is, right? Anytime when we look to shopping and clothes or whatever it is, cars, you know, and we try to draw life, we try to take life from them, they don't have it to give, right? Food, whatever it is, whatever, you know, anything that we're, even other people, when we try to take from them, there's nothing there. And so what ends up happening is this is the way of consuming. This way of taking is, 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 is the way of consuming. When we try 
to consume life from other things, they always end up actually consuming us. This is how it goes. This is how the system is set up in place. One of the easiest ways to see this is money, is our finances. Uh, Dave Ramsey says that we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. (laughs) Is that true? We do that. And what happens when we live that way? Is that a way of life and flourishing and abundance and enjoyment? No, it's a way of death and destruction. When When we live this way, we are consuming things that end up consuming us, that end up taking life away from this. We see this with drugs. You see this with any number of things. We're trying to take life with something that doesn't have to give, and so it ends up consuming us. And this is just... This is just how it works. This is the way of taking. And this is what Paul says they're doing in Corinth. They're coming together not to worship God and to receive from him together, but to consume. That's literally what he's, the word he says. They're coming there to eat and to drink. And so because of that, they are, they are being consumed. But in this, get this, the third level, they are actually consuming one another. Whoa. That's where he's going. That in trot, they, they come trying to consume for themselves. And in this, they actually end up consuming one another. And this is the way of the world. This is, this is how it works. It's like, you can, you can say, Oh, you know, this is that, this is fundamental. This is reality. And so At any level, you can look at it out in nature. You can look at it in your own life. You can look at it in the Bible. You're going to see this across the board. This is just how things work. And so when you have Paul saying one person is hungry while another gets drunk, don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Right? This is is a problem. The way of the world, the way of taking and keeping has entered into who, the people of God who are to be those who receive and give. And it shouldn't be this way. And so in order to address this, the fourth and final thing we see is we restore communion. So this way of taking and keeping for ourselves, of consuming in all of these different ways, it, it leads to death. There aren't multiple ways to life. There's a way to life which is the way of God. And there are lots of ways to death. And so consuming in all these ways, taking is a way of death. And it's what the world is in. So when we were looking at uh, 1 Samuel 8 for a few weeks, we saw when they wanted a king, Israel wants a king like the other nations, which is like the world. What Samuel says from God is if you take a king like the other nations, what's he gonna do from you? He says he's going to take, he's going to take your sons, he's going to take your daughters, he's going to take your land. I mean, he goes on and on. Because the world system operates by taking. And it is a, a world of death. That's, that's how it, it exists in this way. And Jesus comes to set us free from this. He comes into this world that is oriented around taking and, and leading towards death. And he brings another way. First off, we see that he perfectly, constantly receives from the Father. He's constantly going away and he's praying. He's spending time with the Father. He's receiving from God. And then he's going and what is he doing with everyone around him? He's giving, he's healing, he's providing, he's, he's teaching in all of these different ways. This is the work, 
So just as humanity in the beginning was given work to do to bring about the flourishing of all people, Jesus is doing the work the Father has given him to do. And there's a moment in the story after Jesus has been doing all of these things when he says words that are kind of shocking to Peter, one of the guys who's been like one of his inside guys, he says, get behind me, Satan, right? Strong words. Why does he say those words? Because Peter is trying to convince him not to give his life on the cross, but instead to take and keep it for himself. Whose wisdom is that? Satan's from the very beginning in the garden. It's thinking of Satan. Don't give. Instead, take and keep. You've got to protect yourself. You've got to preserve yourself. You've got to look out for yourself, right? It's the wisdom, the thinking of Satan. And into that, Jesus says, no, I'm here not to take, but to give my life. And so this attempt doesn't work on Jesus, right? The temptation that worked on Adam, that worked on Abraham, that worked on all these people. Jesus overcomes it. He sees the lie for what it is. Now, that's the way to death. It's the way of the world. And instead, he overcomes it. And he does, in fact, give his life. He's the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. And on the cross, his final words are, it is finished. He has finished this work of bringing life into a world that is filled with death. And he literally, in this, in the cross... He turns the world upside down. That's literally what happens. Paul says that the world who's consumed with this way of taking and keeping, they look at the cross and what do they say it is? It's foolishness because to the world, it's the exact opposite. It doesn't make sense. Why would you give of yourself? Right? This is the dumbest thing you could possibly do. And yet what Jesus does is he flips the world's thinking on its head. He says, no, this is actually the wisdom of God. This is the way of life. Right, this, this whole system has been turned upside down. And now I am turning it right side up. And, and this is where we have to consider his call for us to literally, when we think about these words of being justified, of being reconciled, and, and all of these words that are tied with our relationship with God, they also include us and our lives being turned right side up. Right? This is, this is what Jesus is, is inviting us into, to this this different way, this world that, that, that different than the way of this world. Second Corinthians 5.15. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for who? Themselves. Which is the way everybody lives in the world. But for the one who died for them and was raised. Jesus in his cross and in his resurrection, which is God vindicating and saying, yes, this is my son. And he is revealing the true way to life is calling us to die to living for ourselves, to stop it, right? And to live a whole new way. To, to, he says, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me in my way of, of life, what do you have to do? Deny yourself and take up your cross. It's the opposite. It's embracing this way that seems foolish to the world, but it's turning away from this way of taking and keeping and consuming and instead to this way that Jesus empowers through his spirit of freely giving what we receive from God. And so in order to do this, we must turn from an economy of consuming to an economy of communion. This is repentance. So repent. 
we turn away from the way that we see the world, we think, and that we live into an entirely different way. And we are turning away from this economy of consuming and consumption to an economy of communion. And this is what the Lord's Supper is. So when Paul, and I love this, when Paul addresses their issue, he doesn't go with all of these rules that they need to follow. He gives them, he reminds them of what? The Lord's Supper. He says, your problem is a worship problem. And so the answer to your problem is the Lord's Supper. It's this reminder of who Jesus is, of what he came to do, and what he offers and calls you to do as well. Paul used the Lord's Supper to remind them and us that life is sustained, hear this, not by competition and consumption, but by communion. By communion. And this is this shalom, right? This is this whole different way of receiving from God and giving to the, towards the flourishing of others. In communion first, we remember that as God gave life in creation, Jesus gave his life for new creation, right? Jesus is, is giving this life, and the new creation is this whole new way of living, right? That it, the old creation moved from life to death. This new creation moves from death to life, following Jesus, empowered by his spirit. And there is no lack of abundance, so, so often, why is it that we take for ourselves and we keep? Because we fear that there won't be enough of whatever it is, right? And that fear, it turns us inward. But what communion does is it reminds us there is abundance. There's more than enough. And so we are freed in this way to receive this abundance from Christ. Secondly, we receive the body and blood of Jesus as a gift of God's grace not by human effort. Is there anything that we can do to earn God's love? Is there anything that we can do to somehow earn his forgiveness of our sins? No, right? That's going back to the way of the world. We must simply, and this is a huge deal in Paul, receive through faith, right? We receive this as a free gift. And this is what we are brought to right through communion is 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 the sabbath work the fulfillment of the sabbath we simply rest in what jesus has done for us not what we do or what we need to accomplish and third and finally we are released to give our lives in acts of generosity and love to others so the word for the lord's supper that has been used in church history not exactly in our circles as much but is eucharist the eucharist and the word eucharisteo does anybody know what that means? Thanksgiving, right? So the expression of thanksgiving was meant to be just as you received the elements of the supper and the life that Jesus has given for you, the expression of your thanksgiving is that you would then go and leave that place offering your own life and giving to others as Jesus gave to you. That was, the, that was the Eucharisteo. That was the Thanksgiving. We, we experienced this giving, this more than abundant giving of what Christ has given to us. And then we go and then we express that same kind of self-giving love to the world around us. And, and, and this is because, once again, because there's abundance. There's more than enough. And so we don't have to provide for ourselves. Jesus has provided everything for us. Ah, so this one we're going to take the Lord's Supper, and so if you if you want the elements and you don't have them, just raise your hands. Our deacons 
will be preparing those. And you can just raise your hands if you, if you want them and you don't have them. But I want to leave, lead us through this process. And, and this is a time of turning away, as I said, from the way of the world, which is the way of competition and consumption, which is just the way we assume things are, and back to the way of communion, right? Communion with God that Jesus, through his life and death and resurrection, has reconciled us with God, has brought us peace with God through his blood shed on the cross. And we simply receive that. And we live this life of God's provision through Christ. And we join him again in this work of new creation. We're to be a new kind of people, a different kind of humanity here on the earth that represents ultimately the new creation that is to come. And so we, we take a moment just, just in preparing our hearts and we go, where in my life am I worshiping the wrong thing? Where in my life am I giving worth to something that's not God? And I'm trying to take life from something that doesn't have life to give. And when we see that, we repent. We turn away from them back and we receive life and abundance and forgiveness and fullness of joy from Christ and him alone. So I want to invite you into that process just as we prepare for communion. Just acknowledging where these places in your heart that you're worshiping the wrong thing and turn back and receive instead from Jesus. And you confess that. Where there's a place that that's taking place, you just confess that to God knowing That when we confess of our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Take a moment where you're at. So, Father, we thank you that you did not leave us on our own following the way of the world that leads to death, but that you sent Jesus who represented the way of life as he laid down his life for us, gave his life on the cross so that we could receive forgiveness of our sins, to be reconciled, made right with you through faith, and so that we could be set back right side up by dying to ourselves and following Jesus. 
We confess that this week there were ways in which we followed the way of the world of competing and consuming, thinking that we could get life from things of this world. And we repent of that. We turn back to you and we receive from you the forgiveness and love and joy that you provide through your spirit. We pray now we take these elements and that as we even experience the supper, that your spirit would renew the goodness of your love and your forgiveness and your joy so that we might go and express that in our own lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. In uh, 1 Corinthians, I'm gonna need another cup at some point, if anybody has one. Uh, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. I got the bread. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread And when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, the body of Christ broken for you. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, the blood of Christ shed for you. as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes and so that's what we're going to do we're reminded that just as Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice for us as we recited in our worship time earlier we now offer our lives as a living sacrifice to him and so I invite you to stand we have this confession that we would make together I'd invite you to say this with me and so In remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Amen. I'll be in the prayer room. If there's anything you need prayer for, need to talk, we'd invite you to come as we sing. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.